My name is Soen Park, and I'm the host of Sarah for Ballet. This podcast is designed to highlight the diversity problem in the ballet world, and illustrate experiences from students, guests, and experts, and inspire people to advocate to eliminate racism and break stereotypes in ballet and the arts. Let's get started. Welcome to an episode of Stare for Ballet podcast. We have a very special guest today. Ms. Stephanie Potrek is a former dancer turned doctor and sports nutritionist, and also a psychotherapist specializing in the treatment of eating disorders and challenges with self-esteem, self-confidence, and self-care. She has a unique insight into the challenges that dancers face these days worldwide. She's the founder of Us Dancers Overseas, that was originally created to support Australian dancers and dance students when moving overseas. And this platform has grown into an education and information hub for dancers and dance students worldwide. Hi, Stephanie. Glad to have you here. Hello there. We're just going to go straight into it, starting with a dance question. So, knowing that you have danced formally, I'm curious about when you started to dance and what was your journey until dancing professionally. So, can you tell us a little bit about your dance journey? Um, yeah. So, first of all, thanks for having me.、Um, my dance journey, well. I think it started off as nothing special, really. So I was a dance kid, like you know, always dancing around in the house to music. And when I was like maybe four or five, um, my two of my friends started ballet, and I was just like, oh, I want to join. And then it was the three of us, and we started off with classical ballet. It was Baganova, which is, I would say, till this day, my preferred style, probably. Um, and um. Yeah, so kind of I stick with it as long as we lived there. But then, due to my dad's job, we moved cities and countries quite a lot. So I would then train in the RAD system mostly. And luckily,、um, I was exposed to jazz and musical theatre and tap dance like rather early. So I would say it's probably at the age of ten, eleven or so.、Um, And、um, yeah, singing came quite easily to me, so it is maybe not a surprise that I kind of ended up in musical theatre.、Um, but nevertheless, at this time when I did it, so kind of I'm giving away how old I am.、Um, so when I did it back then, there was, despite it being a musical theatre、um, diploma course, there was still quite an emphasis on ballet, and this is actually where I fractured one of my vertebrae. Um, and also back then, dance medicine wasn't what it is today. So everyone went like, "Oh, we've got to immobilize you," and you know, and I was like, well, that doesn't sound like I wanted. And then luckily, I found someone. He was married to one of the prima ballerinas at Zurich Ballet in Switzerland, and he kind of had a good idea what the life of a dancer is. And He was he was really sweet. He was like, oh no, we're just going to look at it the Swiss way, and we're going to take some radiographs nobody else takes, you know, and then we're going to see. So I ended up doing loads of physiotherapy、um, and other strengthening exercises, but really couldn't go back to dance because I couldn't lift my leg area, not even glisse height or so.、Um, and、um, yeah, kind of this is how my my journey into dance actually ended. Then quite early,、um, it. I think it could be different today. So if it happened today, it would probably be different, and someone with the injury that I had back then would be able to go back to dance. But back then, it just wasn't possible.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unfortunate that you had to end it there. But 
at least you're now working to help fix those problems for other students as well. So what was your favorite part about dancing? I don't even know whether there's one favorite part. I, I think it is so much. Mm-hmm. I think I was quite early really in awe, like how much the human body can actually do and, and things you, you know, lots of people can't even begin to imagine and we just go for it and do it and dance. Um, but then there's also so much more to it. So, you know, as a kid, you kind of get lost in this parallel universe and you escape what is your everyday life. So that's mostly school, a school for, for um, the kids. So school could be boring. School could, could be overwhelming. School could be a really difficult place to go to because you're not feeling accepted or, you know, like kind of you're not managing to, to be on top of things. Or there are heaps of reasons why you want to escape this and dance definitely did allow this so I would really in the afternoon late in the afternoon on the weekends I would just get into this other world and I didn't need to speak there really a lot because you can express with the body what words just can um and and then also it is so much more than other sports so I did a lot of other sports as well but you know I always say if I run a half marathon I don't need to make it look pretty you know, I can chase my personal best. And that's about it, how I look like nobody's interested. But in dance and on the stage, we've got to make it look effortless. We've got to make it look pretty. So there is so much more to it. And I think that probably hit it most for me. Yeah, definitely. I think, like you said, for any other sport, you can have any expression you want. But for ballet, you really have to act This is kind of a transitional question, but what inspired or motivated you to become a doctor and sports nutritionist from a dancer? You kind of talked about your injuries and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is a question that I get asked really a lot and I I don't really know. So I said I found this doctor who was married to one of the premier ballerinas at Zurich Ballet. But I can't even say he really inspired me to go into medicine and then be like, oh, and I want to work with dancers. Because when I left the dance world, it was I left. Mm-hmm. I, I found it so difficult, like from one day to the next. And then um, for a couple of, or over a couple of weeks, this process of finding someone who can help you and who kind of speaks your language um, to say, I can't even move my leg area to glisse height anymore and nobody knows when will I be able to return to you know this height or or um anything um higher than that and so it kind of I really left because I couldn't cope with having come so far and then having to quit and somehow the only other thing that was medicine the only other thing that really interested me that was medicine and so um, I just went for it and you know for all the kids listening right now that of course worked only out because I was kind of really being good at school as well um and uh, it it pays off to have a backup plan and to like not neglect school um because you never know what happens to you 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 know you can give it all and nevertheless um you can suddenly find yourself on you know um in a situation where you just can't continue dancing so it does pay off to um try and be the best you can be at school. Um, So, yeah, I went into medicine. And then, of course, I met a lot of people outside um, 
outside the dance were kind of a little bit what um, Puanami said about, um, you know, being accepted into Harvard and then like meeting all these people who have literally no idea about dance at all. Um, so it was a time that was, was busy. It was overwhelming. It was fantastic somehow. Um, and I think having been a dancer totally helped me because or helped me meeting the demands of these studies. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was good to spend a couple of years, quite a couple of years actually, not in the dance world. And also when I worked later as doctor, I started off not working with dancers, but um, went into global health and then went, to, went into human genetics. I really, really, really wanted to understand the, the human body. And I really wanted to understand the world. And I think this does help today to put things into context, having been outside this dance bubble or this ballet bubble that we so often talk about and have a bit of a more, let's say, general view of what the world actually is and knowing very well the dance bubble is part of it and it is a very important part. And for me, it is a very important part as well, but it is not everything. And I think that really helps. Mm-hmm, right. I think your advice of having a backup plan is really important. Uh, you know, just because personally, I think you need to have a backup plan if you're a dancer. Right, right. If it's not your body that kind of, you know, um, crosses your plans, then mm-hmm. it might be someone, it might be a person. Or, I mean, let's talk about the current situation, the pandemic. How many graduates of 2020 and 2021 have we seen not being able to get a job? Right. You know, more than ever. So, yeah, backup plans are, they are worth it, really. They're gold. Mm-hmm. All right. So, based upon your experiences in ballet and the dance world, what do you think should change in the ballet or dance world? This is a good question. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, well, so much has to change. And I think your podcast, all the episodes, they have really touched on so much already. And the first two things coming to my mind definitely um, is the abuse of power. This has to change. Um, racism has to change. Misogyny has to change. So these are recurrent themes. And I can just add to it and, and confirm these are the big problems that we are actually having in the dance world. Um, the thing is, so much needs to change from top to bottom, um, but that is unlikely to happen because people in the top positions, they are just, you know, they are comfortable in their positions. They don't have any pressure to change anything. Um, whereas let's call it the big Mars down there at the bottom. They have all the negative experiences. They, they, their physical health suffers, their mental health suffers, their financial situation very often isn't stable. Um, but then they are not as much in the position to be able to bring change than those in the top positions would be. But that is that is a major problem that we are facing. The top is comfortable, whereas the bottom is very uncomfortable. So in my everyday life, I can empower and encourage those at the bottom to amplify their voices, to amplify their actions. So some sort of change can be brought from bottom to top. It would be a whole lot easier for everyone if it, you know, if it was just the other way around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a good segue to what you're doing with your work, leading to your work. 
You've created an amazing platform, Us Dance Overseas, that has grown into an education and information hub for dancers and dance students worldwide. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and what your mission is? Uh, yeah, first of all, thank you. Um, that's really kind of you to say. Um, so most of the time, actually, I post about the topics that have been relevant um, to my patients in like the past week or the past months. Um, and very often, I, just like with racism, misogyny, abuse of power, these are recurrent themes. Um, so I think this way I can keep the content relatable um, because it is always it is unlikely that it always only affects one person. So even if I see someone in a one-on-one session and they tell me something, you can, I mean, you bet it affects at least 10 others as, as well. And I see this in private messages that I'm getting then when I post. Um, it, it always affects others as well. So I really try to listen these days and not be the like know it all and I know it all better because sometimes I think, oh, that's actually you know, like, oh, maybe that has already changed for the better, or this is not as bad as it was. And then I get to know through my patients, well, no, actually, this is still really an issue for them. So I really try to listen. Um, and yeah, and then also, I think really, um, I try to give the dancers a voice um, so that my platform is one where they feel they can be seen and heard. Um because they don't always have the courage to speak up. They don't always have the knowledge to speak up because lots is just not taught at school um, or at dance school. Um, and of course I provide the educational material as well. Um, so they can feel empowered um, through the ever-growing knowledge about themselves and about, um, um, and about their body to stand up for themselves. And if they still don't manage to stand up for themselves, at least they manage to care a lot better for themselves, which I think is one of the, the challenges in, in dance. Um, and um, yeah, you had asked me, I haven't answered this actually really, you had asked me about nutrition. So later when I went back into dance medicine, I also added nutrition because I thought this just enables me to provide a more holistic treatment because mind and body are so connected. Um, and so I felt I, I just needed to add this. So um, yeah, I really, I really want with my platform, I want the dancers to understand that their body is the instrument and that if they know how to care for it, they can have the longest, healthiest and happiest careers possible. So that's what I do. It's just really amazing that you're connected to mind and body. And, you know, as you said, there is a lot of voices that are suppressed in the ballet world and I just think it's amazing that you're doing the work that you do. Thank you. So I saw your special focus was on relative energy deficiency in sport and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm saying this wrong, um, hypothematic amoria. Mm -hmm. So kind of leading to what you said before, how do you deliver your advice and knowledge in that area in your program and platform? Yeah, so maybe for those not knowing these two terms yet maybe we should just quickly define them so low energy availability means that you are eating less per day per week per month then the body would actually need to function properly to function at 100 percent which 
I think we kind of want. Um, but a lot of dancers operate at levels of 70, 75, 80% only, and they think this is their best. Um, so what's the consequence? We, we call it underfueling. Um, the consequence is that the body can't run all its programs that it is meant to run. It will always allow you to dance. So I think this is where a big part of the misconception comes from because I think most people think, well, as long as I can dance, I must be healthy, right? Mm -hmm. And this is actually not true. This unfortunately our kind of, we have a social jet lag. This is our genetic heritage. Um, humankind has um, evolved over the past um, couple of hundreds of years at a speed that our genes just, you know, they can't keep up with it. So it kind of, um, they, the body still thinks it is like 150, 200, 300, 400 years ago, maybe even more, um, whereas we are in 2021 right now. So um, it is sometimes hard to spot symptoms because we still can dance. But nevertheless, our bones get more brittle because we don't eat enough. Our mood is lower because we don't eat enough. Um, we get problems like diarrhea, constipation, so digestive issues. Um, and we think we've got to cut out foods, but actually it is because we are not eating enough. Mm -hmm. We have hematological issues like there is not enough blood, there are not enough blood cells anymore to transport the oxygen that we need for dance. And we just think, you know, like there's not enough oxygen. So how does it make you feel in class? It makes you feel fatigued early. Um, it feels like, oh gosh, you know, everyone's had this, like, oh, my legs are so heavy today. Um, whereas there's actually a problem going on and it is not that you are lazy or should, you know, you, you shouldn't be pushing harder. You should actually care for your health. So admittedly, it is really, it can be really difficult to spot the symptoms. I am just, as I said, because of the reaction of the body, it will always let us dance. Um, but then again, a lot of processes in the body are being shut down. Bone health is one of them. Mental health is another one of them. Um, and um, this is all part of low energy availability. And then we've got hypothalamic amenorrhea, which affects a lot of female dancers. So female um, in the sense of biological sex. Um, and this means that a lot of young dancers don't get their first period at a time when they really should. So that for most countries, this is age 15, 15th birthday, there's the cutoff. For some countries, it is 16. Sorry, but let's be generous and say the ladies on your 16th birthday, you should have had your first period ever. And it is very common that this doesn't happen. So this affects directly bone health, but it just affects mental health as well. And we have... Lots of studies on bones, like how bones never reach their peak bone mass afterwards if they don't work on this condition, um, and uh, how it affects mental health as well. Like a lot of dancers, uh, female dancers, maturing very late, they don't feel ready for the company at a moment when they really should, or they have their growth spurt then finally when they are actually to start a, a company contract, and then all of a sudden, you know use of space it is all over the place because suddenly their limbs have grown and they've got to find their center again and um, it also expresses um, itself in being less flexible for a while and then there is this mental aspect of oh my god what is happening to me I'm not ready for this job and I mean of course this is something that is then noticed by others in, in company class and rehearsals and so on so it is it is really tricky um 
especially if dancers are coming to a new vocational school. So this is, you know, for the Northern Hemisphere, this has just been the time of year. Um, and then they start somewhere and it is like, oh, no, it's totally normal. As a dancer, you don't have your period. And it's like most of the time, let's say 99% of the cases being set by someone with literally not qualification um, in medicine or nutrition or any other related healthcare um, um, profession. And um, the other one is there are some dancers as well. They start their periods at a time when they really should and then they lose it often when they transition either into full-time training, so age 15, 16, um, or actually when they start with a company. And it is very often when we trace it back, triggered by comments that have been made about the body um, or a certain ideal that the company has, like everyone needs to be skinny or this experience. I've shown this in my own research with uh, Nikki Key. Um, this experience of the one who is the skinniest is the one getting cast for the most significant roles. We were shocked how many tick this box actually. Um, and this is, as you can see, hypothalamic amenorrhea is of course part of low energy availability, but it is one that is so easy to spot. I just said low energy availability isn't always easy to spot, but hypothalamic amenorrhea, this is so easy to spot no period for more than three months. In other countries, it's more than six months. Um, that is a sign of your body. It's like a, let's say a, a monthly regular period is a health check-in, comes for free. It's great. If it's not there, that is a huge red flag that there's something not okay with your health. And it affects, again, both mental health and physical health, no regular cycles, of course, they um, affect our reproductive health, but they affect our bone health. And we have estrogen receptors in our brain, and they are responsible for good mood. So watch out for these signs. Wow. I think I relate to a lot of these, uh, what you said, because based on my experience, you know, I got my period when I was about 14, which is about average. But there was this one stretch of time um, a year actually that I didn't have my period and now I think it's maybe because of ballet as well as you know all the stress from the pandemic and everything else going on in the world so what you said gave me some insight about another reason why that happened yeah and you're mentioning something really um, important I haven't even said what the three main factors are so this is under eating so to lose your period or not even get it in the first place not eating enough um over-exercising, which you don't even do on purpose. It is, that is the dancer's schedule. That is normal. And we manage to cope with it. But if the body isn't prepared for it, it doesn't manage to cope with it. So sometimes it just needs this, you know, sometimes I just need to give a little bit of a nudge. Sometimes I see a dancer only two or three times and then it's fine. Other times I've got to see them longer, but sometimes it is really just that smidgen that is missing to kind of reach your goals, you know? Um, and then stress is number three, under eating, over exercising and stress. And let us be honest, dancers usually have all three of them. Mm -hmm. So they are really a high risk population um, for both low energy availability and hypothalamic amenorrhea. Yeah, that is true. So kind of still talking about your organization, what has been the most exciting or gratifying thing? about starting Ostians overseas? I think probably the most 
both. Most exciting and most gratifying thing is that you'll know when you kind of when you've done your work with a patient and you know you can just let them go and they will be fine. Um, you know that you've helped someone create a better and healthier and happier life and probably a longer career. Um, and you know this despite the triggering and rather unsupportive environment um, that they have found themselves in or they find themselves in uh, for most of their lives so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is definitely exciting. But on the other hand, making organization, there are difficult sides of it. So what has been the most challenging thing for you? So the one is that I often cannot do anything like file a complaint to local authorities when it's about abuse or so because the dancer or in the case of underage students, um, their, their parents, they they want me to solve it, but then at the same time, they don't want to be involved at all um, because they think this is going to ruin their kid's career. Um, so just an example, a dancer gets weight at a new vocational school or pre-professional school. A goal weight is set, which is completely unrealistic for this dancer. And this dancer just starts to restrict food intake and sees I see the, the dancer spiral into a full-blown eating disorder over the course of like two to three to four months. And when I say I see them, this means usually I see them on Instagram or I get some kind of updates from the parents. Um, and so there's every reason um, to complain, particularly, you know, the weight was set, the goal weight was set by the director who has literally no background in medicine or any other healthcare related profession, um, who doesn't even have a teaching qualification. So you have, you have so, you kind of, there's plenty of reasons to complain and say, this is harmful. And then they don't want to do it because they think um, this is going to ruin their kid's career. Um, unfortunately, cases like this, and this is not the exception, and unfortunately, it's really a sad fact. Um, cases like this usually see the dancer give up. It is rare that they either push through um, or that they are even able to push through because their body just won't support them forever, you know? Um, so this is one of the most challenging things and it makes me so sad. It makes me so sad. I mean, I know that parents, they want the best for their kids. I absolutely understand it. But I think we need the mutual understanding that we can't do it for you without you. Mm-hmm. This is really one of the, the most challenging thing. And probably the other one is really <laughs> what I said earlier already, that those in the most powerful positions are way too comfortable there. You just can't even reach them. And I, I'm not alone in this. Right. And it's definitely probably difficult for you to balance that out, like trying to help solve the problem, but also trying not to get some parts of it involved. That's very difficult. Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I wish, I wish really someone came up with a way how to get to those that are actually really able to bring significant change. Mm-hmm. Just waiting for this. So if you know, please message me. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, please. <laughs> so this is a little bit relating to what you already said. What sort of impact do you hope to make on the dance community with Austin Services? You're already making a great impact, but maybe something in the future? Yeah, I see. I, you know, um, 
I think I see the impact that Ostensis Overseas makes um, every single day on an individual basis. I absolutely intend to continue doing. I also hope, of course, that these voices and these individual experiences will allow more dancers to speak up, to amplify their message, um, and that this is a bit of a snowball effect. So this is definitely um, what I'm hoping for and what I'm working towards. Yeah, definitely. That is, I think, very important. So kind of relating to that, where do you see us dancers overseas in the near future? Yeah, it's a good question. So I personally, I think I, I probably work pretty much at my limit already. Um, I mean, funnily enough, it's just Sunday and we are recording this podcast. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think really um, the next step would be to grow the team and get others on board. And it might be really an exciting thing to do. And probably I can't wait much longer, actually. Um, of course, I intend to, um, yeah, to kind of grow courses that I offer um, I certainly can't grow the one-on-one anymore, um, but maybe some more online courses um, so that at least you can catch dancers. You can't afford the one-on-one that you can catch them there and also provide some support through online courses. So there's, there's a, I don't know, one, two, three, four series already, but maybe a few more just to address more topics even than we are doing right now. That would be a good idea. That sounds very exciting, just having more people on board. I can't wait to see it grow even more. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to move on to some fun questions. The first one is, who are your heroes? Ha, definitely too many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think a hero is meant to inspire. So I would have to say I'm inspired by really many people. So starting with my mom, um, then my former boss in Global Health, who really taught me about the connection of mind and body. Then there are other scientists and writers. I look up to very few politicians, um, but poets, artists, artists in, in general. So we can certainly count poets uh, as artists. So very many. And I think I pick from everyone what inspires me the most. And I think no one really is a hero. I think they're more of a role model because the word hero in me kind of evokes, I can never reach it. And I kind of don't want to limit myself. I want to pick what I admire in someone else and then see how this, how I can work this into what I am, who I am. Um, But maybe I don't even have a hero really. Um, because this is so unreachable, a hero is so unreachable. So maybe I have a lot of role models, but not a hero, really, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there is a difference, you know. Um, a hero is something that seems a little unattainable, but a role model is something that we can be for someone. Mm-hmm. So to the next question, are you someone who is an introvert, extrovert, or ambivert? So I'm definitely an introvert, but so really. Um I have, let's say I have learned to use it wisely. Um, So probably a lot of people wouldn't even come close to thinking I could be an introvert, um, particularly um, because I am able to, you know, call someone out in public um, or talk about things other people don't dare to talk about in public. Um, 
but nevertheless, I can find social interaction quite overwhelming. Um, and I'm kind of quite happy spending time with myself. So yes, I do fall into the category of introvert. Well, I would have never known, honestly, maybe like an ambivert, but not an introvert. <laughs> it, is, it is funny. It is years ago that we learned it. It was some sort of leadership seminar. I don't know. I think I was going through it for like two years or so. It was, it was a huge thing. It was, I wouldn't want to miss it. And we came across Susan Cain's book, Quiet. Mm-hmm. And for me, this was like, why is she writing about me? I don't get it. <laughs> so, yeah kind of bizarre to get this out Mm -hmm. yeah definitely relate to that so what is the funniest thing that has happened to you recently probably the one thing that happens to everyone where we still have to wear masks in public um i bought a coffee with my mask on obviously wanted to drink my coffee still had my mask on so it was a bit of a disaster (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've seen a lot of videos online with People not putting their mask down when they eat. It is. I just, I don't know. It just, you know, the mask fit quite snugly. And uh, <laughs> so I didn't notice I was still wearing it. I, it must look very funny, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the mask is part of our face now. Totally. Now we're going to move on to the last question. As a former dancer and now doctor, sports nutritionist and researcher, do you have any tips for young dancers in order to make the dance world more inclusive, representative and safe place? More inclusive. Um, definitely try and apply for schools where inclusion is a it's, it's just part of their mission. Um, so I was super lucky. I was at a school where kind of white students were in some years the minority, but most of the time was just 50-50. Um, and I think this really helped me to look at, I don't know, you know, I, I remember um, I went to see English National Ballet and Michaela de Prince guested there and I was alone. So I was just, you know, on my seat waiting for, for the performance to begin. And people around me were talking all the time, like whether Michaela is going to make a good uh, murder. And like, if someone black can be murder. Um, and I was, this was a moment where I was realizing like, what, what are you actually talking about? You know, like, because at school, it was just so normal. You would just see the person who was best for this role in a specific role. Um, whereas suddenly I was surrounded by white people and they would all go on like, do you think she makes a good murder? And I was like, what are you actually talking about? So it is actually, I'm using this example because just to say, it is absolutely possible that you do not need to pay attention any attention to skin color, race, whatever it is that, you know, kind of makes people think this she can do it or he can do it or whatever. So really try and find places where this is supported. There are schools, luckily, so um, it is possible. Um, representative in a safe place. Um, Probably I would have to say, don't rely on the dance world equipping you with what you need for your career because they won't. Um, start as early to educate yourself. So this is a message, of course, to parents as well. Team up. Um, don't be afraid to ask. 
we all know early interventions are just so much better than trying to fix it later on when a lot more is broken. Um, follow reliable and qualified sources. I said it recently in an Instagram live. So if you found one source where someone is really qualified, also see with whom they connect. So you can see what is their network and then you will come across a lot of reliable and qualified sources. Um, really try to learn about your body as early as possible. So in ballet, this means puberty is normally the time when lots of issues start. This can vary from person to person, but let's just say lots of issues start. So this should be the time, the latest, when you start learning about your body so that you can get through this time as unscathed as possible. You know, this will also help build resilience to withstand the sometimes very brutal environment. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Stephanie. That was the last question. It was just so amazing to have you here. Thank you so much for providing time for this. Thank you so much for having me. And also, I just really want to add, I find this so amazing what you've created with Stairway for Ballet. Um, I absolutely love to see also the parents' responses to like, you know, the pandemic has made our situation financially so unstable, but now our daughter or our son can still join these classes. And it is amazing to see such platforms grow. And um, yes, really fingers crossed, this will be well accepted. You can then go into nonprofit and grow it because it is so needed. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, our STEP program fall session is currently in session. If you would like to take the masterclasses, please go to our website, stereoforballet.com, to register to get the Zoom links every week. To keep up with our social media, check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.